author's introduction to The Great Sinners of the Bible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Devorah Allen. The Great Sinners of the Bible by Lewis Albert Banks. The Sunday Night Service. One of the great problems of the Christian Church of every denomination in all parts of the country for several years has been how to draw and help a large congregation on Sunday nights. A great many experiments have been tried. Sometimes it has been thought that people were prejudiced against the church building itself, and so in many instances this has been closed on Sunday night and the hall, the theater, or the opera house hired for the service. Such experiments have usually succeeded for a time, but have been, without exception, I think, of a temporary character. In other places, the Sunday night service has been secularized so as to appear just as little like a church as possible. Expensive music has been provided to catch the ear of the multitude. A public reader is sometimes billed as one of the attractions. The discourse of the preacher is not called a sermon, but a lecture or an address and is upon some new book of popular interest, or some problem of sociology or kindred theme. These experiments have lasted sometimes at greater length than the other, but they also run their course after a little while. Others have given up in despair and closed the church at night. Still others go on their way with fairly well-filled pews in the morning, and only here and there a scattered listener at night. For many years I have been pastor of downtown churches in large cities, and during all those years have never failed to have full houses on Sunday night. The publishers of this volume have asked me to furnish them with a series of Sunday night sermons, running through the autumn and winter, and this book is the result. The sermons included in it were preached during the autumn and winter of 1898 and 1899 in the First Methodist Episcopal Church, Cleveland, Ohio. They were delivered to audiences that constantly tax the seating capacity of a very large church. The publishers have also asked me to add a word concerning my theory about the Sunday night service and my method of conducting it. My theory is very simple. It is this. Men and women will not go to church very long or very frequently unless they are personally preached to. I preach on Sunday morning to Christian people largely, and they, in large majority, compose the audience. On Sunday night I preach to sinners, as directly and simply and earnestly as I know how, and hundreds of them come to hear me preach every Sunday night. I do not try to preach an easy gospel. I do not call the sermon a lecture or an address, or try in any way to hide the fact that it is a straightforward, honest effort to win a man from his sins and bring him to the mercy seat. I go just as directly to his conscience as I can. I plead with him, with all the earnestness there is in me, to pause in his downward career and come now to Christ. I find there is wonderful interest in the old Bible stories, but no story of modern fiction has such gripping power on an audience as the old stories of the Bible, translated into modern language and told in the tongue of today. I believe that one of the greatest reasons why unconverted people do not go to church on Sunday nights, in many places, is because they are not preached to. 
Who of us would want to go very long to hear sermons addressed entirely to somebody else? I asked a layman one Monday morning in an eastern city if they were having any conversions in the church of which he was a member, and he replied with a sarcastic smile, Oh no, our pastor does all his preaching to the people who are going to heaven. Many times a pastor refrains from heart-searching denunciations of sin and earnest demands for personal righteousness, for fear of driving away his hearers. But a greater mistake could not be made. There are in every community many men and women who are living sinful lives, whose consciences constantly rebuke them for their course, who are haunted with a longing for something better, and whose hearts turn towards the man who speaks the true message from God, as a flower turns towards the sun. They feel that he speaks to them, and they cannot stay away. Though the word pierces like an arrow, they will come back again and again until they are won from their sins and saved. My own method is to seek for direct results from such sermons whenever and wherever they are delivered. It is a great waste of resources to arouse a man's conscience through a sermon, to stir up his emotions, to cause his spirit to be alert, to make him see his duty, and then give him no chance or encouragement to immediate action. At the close of a sermon especially addressed to unconverted people, I always give some opportunity for confession of Christ and the expression of a determination to lead a Christian life. I do not always do it in the same way. Sometimes I ask for the uplifted hand or the rising in the congregation. At other times I ask the sinner convicted of sin to come forward and kneel at the altar, and at other times invite him into an inquiry room. My idea is not to get into a rut, so that everybody will know beforehand exactly what I will do as to method, though even a uniform custom is better than to arouse sinners by an earnest presentation of God's word, and then let them go away to all the hurry and work and temptation of the world, without opening the way for them to commit themselves immediately and definitely on the right side. It is very rarely that a Sunday night passes in which someone does not take advantage of the opportunity to make an open and public confession of Christ. Sometimes the church is greatly comforted and strengthened by seeing many come out openly on the Lord's side. Such a close to a day's work is a constant inspiration to the church itself. It keeps alive the evangelistic spirit. It holds the members constantly face to face with the great mission of the church, which is to preach the gospel to every creature. It develops the gifts and graces of Christian workers. It stimulates and encourages those who have recently come to Christ and, indeed, keeps the whole church alive to the supreme work of saving men. Perhaps another word in regard to the character of the preaching would be well, though the sermons themselves are the best evidence of that. I put a good deal of time on the selection of the topic. I try to invent a method of stating the theme in such a way as not to repel people, but rather to attract them to come to hear the sermon. I am sure this is productive of good results. I have known people to come twenty or thirty miles because the theme had been stated in such a way as to catch their attention. The story is told of a young fellow from the city who had been fishing all day in a lake up in northern Michigan and gave as a reason at night for coming home empty-handed that he did not seem to be able to attract the attention of the fish. It is just so with the gospel fisherman. He will come home empty-handed at last, 
unless he attracts the attention of men and women so that they will hearken to the message which he brings them. After the theme is selected, the next question is to present it in such a way that it will be at once interesting and forceful. In order to win a verdict, the lawyer knows that he must not only attract the attention of the juryman, but he must convince and compel him. So the Christian minister, pleading at the bar of the conscience of a sinful man, must seek to win his verdict. He will not care whether he makes a man laugh or cry, so he causes him to repent and accept Christ. He will not care whether the man thinks he is a great preacher, whether his rhetoric is beautiful or his periods eloquent. He will only care to make the man see that he is a sinner against God, and that Jesus Christ who died to redeem him is now willing and able to save him. Simplicity and blood earnestness, these must be characteristics of the sermon that will gather and hold a large congregation on Sunday night, and help and save them after they are gathered. Other characteristics are illustration and brevity. It is the age of pictures, not only pictures gathered by the photographer or the painter, but pictures of life and doing in fiction. The novel is a great teacher in our day. And the sermons that are catching the ear and the heart of sinning men throughout the world and turning them to God are sermons full of illustrations. Perhaps that has always been true, but it is certainly true in our time and saving sermons today are brief, especially should this be true of Sunday night. The day is past. It has been full of many things to attract and hold the attention. It is evening. The wise man knows that to do his best work with a man's heart or conscience, he must bring what he has to say into brief compass, and strike straight home, and then quit. I believe full Sunday night congregations are within the reach of every earnest preacher of ordinary intelligence and common sense in all our large towns and cities. Set your pulpit on fire, brother, with an earnest giving of yourself to save men, and multitudes of sinners will flock to see the flame, their hard hearts will be melted, and they will be saved. Lewis Albert Banks, Cleveland, Ohio End of Introduction